Uh, we're in the Gospel of John. We've got to the fifth chapter. We're going to be looking at chapter 5, verses 1 through about 18 today. Up until this time, Jesus has performed two major miracles. He turned water into wine at a wedding feast, and then he healed a nobleman's son. Uh, uh, we looked at that last week. And uh, uh, these first two miracles just caused amazement and wonder in the eyes of people. But he's going to perform a miracle in the text today. And it's kind of a, a changing point in the whole gospel of John. It begins to infuriate the leaders of the, of the Jewish people. And these scribes and Pharisees from this day forward, from the day that we're looking at uh, in, in this text today, they begin to, uh, to resist Jesus. They begin to resent Jesus because he doesn't fit into the mold that they have established. So I want to read the text. I want to come back and say some things about it. There's really about four, four different kinds of sermons that we could preach from this text, and so I'll try to not do all four of them today, but I'll, I do want us to look at this text. John, uh, John chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, and we'll read down through verse 17. I tell you, well, let's stand up for the reading of God's Word. Just going to be reading it just in honor of the Word of God. Let's just, uh, let's just stand as I read this today. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there, wa there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool. In Aramaic, it's called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, people who were blind and lame and paralyzed. One man who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there, and Jesus knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to the man, Do you want to be healed? And the sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm trying to get there, someone gets there before me. And Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed. And he took up his bed and he walked. Now that's the most amazing thing. But another amazing thing is what happened next. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It's the Sabbath, and it's not lawful for you to take up your bed. And Jesus and the man answered them and said, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. And they asked him, Who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk. Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found the man in the temple, and he said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing else may happen to you. And the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working, 
until now, and I am working. May God bless the reading of his word. Thank you. Be seated. What an amazing account that's given here. Jesus goes up to a feast in Jerusalem. It's probably the feast of Pentecost. It doesn't tell us which feast it was, but there were three feasts that all the Jewish men were required to attend every year, Passover and uh, Pentecost and the Feast of Tabernacles. And probably this was the Feast of Pentecost. doesn't really matter. And there was there in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate, a pool that is called Bethesda. Bethesda <coughs> means the house of mercy. And it was a place where people came in hopes of finding mercy. People came who were sick. People came who were crippled, and they would have people bring them there. And there was a legend in that day and, uh, that, that, that an angel would come down and stir the waters from time to time. And what it is is an underground spring that from time to time it would bubble up, and they had this uh, kind of superstition that if once the water bubbled up, that the first person that could get into the water would be healed and uh, so people who were sick people who were crippled people who had diseases of various kinds would come and gather around these five roofed colonnades and they would surround that pool in the hopes of finding mercy now uh, uh, the number five in the Bible is the number that represents grace you can look it up and just find there are so many, many places where the number five is used and it represents the grace of God. And I just think it's interesting that this happened in a place where there were five colonies. Because, man, we see God's sovereign grace in this story, maybe more than or as much as in any other story. Maybe the, the story of Lazarus would be even more, but, but this is a great one because Jesus comes into this place where all of these sick people are there. And it says that all of them, that a multitude of people who, had, who were there, they were blind, they were lame, and they were paralyzed. And what a picture. What a picture of us before Jesus came to us. What a picture of the world out around us today. People who are blind. They're blind to their own need. They're blind to the glories of God. They're blind to the person of Jesus. They are living in blindness. And they were lame. They could not walk in the ways of God. Even though they may have heard them, they had no ability. And they were paralyzed in their ability. So people in a, uh, unable... One of the doctrines of grace that I love to, to talk about is the, the total inability of man, the total depravity of man. That is that, that man is in such a state in his lost condition that he has no ability of his own to find his way to God. It's just impossible. He cannot Make it on his own. One of the things I remember, a little gospel tract I saw years ago when I was just a child, really, uh, were, were given out at our church, and it says, man is a sinner, and he cannot save himself. Man is a sinner, and he cannot save himself. And how true that is. And we go out here and talk to people, share the gospel with people, and we ought to do that. We're commanded to do that. 
But when I share the gospel with a lost person, I know that he has no ability in himself, and I have no ability in myself to raise him from the dead. He is blind, he is deaf, he is paralyzed, he is crippled in every way. And so when I share the gospel with somebody, there's two conversations going on for me. One, I'm telling the gospel to this person, but I'm praying and asking the Holy Spirit to do his work. Only he can do it. Only he can do it. And I have seen people saved that I just didn't think could even be saved. And I've seen some people that I thought, surely they want to be saved. They even said, I want to be a Christian. But they did not even know that they were lost and really without hope and without help in the world. And so when we share the gospel, we are, we are telling the truth, but we're depending on him. We're depending on the Spirit of God to do the work. Because to tell a, a lost person to trust in Jesus, he cannot trust in Jesus. Any more than this man could get up and walk until Jesus told him to get up and walk. So this is a beautiful picture of the sovereign grace of God expressed in this story. And I just marvel. My wife and I have talked this last week. Just I uh, got up one morning. She was sitting there her computer crying. And I said, wait. She said, I've just been listening to this song by Rusty Goodman called Who Am I That a King Would Bleed and Die For? Who am I that he would say, not my will, thine for? What a marvel. What an amazing grace that God, in great condescension, would come to this earth and willingly take my sin and your sin and die on a cross to pay the penalty for my sin. How amazing. And, and we, we can't do it. No man can save himself. And nobody can even come to Christ unless the Spirit draws him and brings him. That amazing. And so we see this story here. This, he says that there's a whole multitude of people, and there's one man, one crippled man who had been invalid for 38 years, probably all of his life. I read somewhere this last week that the lifespan of most people in that time, in that place, was about 40 years. So it's possible this man had been paralyzed all of his life. It's also possible that he uh, had been paralyzed in an accident or that he had some, uh, some disease that paralyzed him. And, and he was totally unable to do anything for himself. And so when Jesus saw him lying there, Jesus knew the marvelous omniscience of our Savior. He knows everything about you and everything about me. And Jesus came right to that man. You know, somebody asked me, you know, why did he go to that man? Well, that's his business. I don't know. I don't know why he came to me 61 years ago. I have no idea. Just like we, my wife and I were saying, who am I? What? I wasn't looking for God. I wasn't searching for Jesus. He came searching for me. And he found me. And he brought me to himself. 
and he changed my life, changed my heart. And, uh, and that's what he's about to do for this man. Why, why this man? I don't know. I don't know why you or why me. And Jesus said to the man, do you want to be healed? Seems, seems like an almost a silly question, doesn't it? This man has been crippled for 38 years, and Jesus says, do you want to be healed? Jesus asked that of other people, too. Do you want to be healed? And I would ask you today, do you want to be healed? Do you want, if you're not a Christian, do you want to be saved? If you do want to be, that's because God's put the want to in your heart. And then I'd say to us as Christians, do we want to walk by faith in the ways of God? How in the world can we change? How can we change? When people come to me and tell me they've got a bad habit they're trying to break or they've got something that they, they need to overcome in their life, I usually tell them to follow this little pattern. I call it the MID pattern. First, there needs to be proper motivation. You have to want to overcome it. If somebody comes to me and says, you know, I need to, to lose weight or I need to stop smoking or I need to this, that, I say, first of all, there has to be proper motivation. There has to be a reason you want to change. And then there has to be proper information. You have to learn some things, and then there has to be determination. You have to put it into practice. And you can change a lot of things by that MID, motivation, information, and determination. But you cannot change some things by that. <laughs> some things requires divine intervention, and that's what it required for this person. Do you want to be healed? And instead of the man saying, yes, I do, he just said, well, I've been here a long time, and, and I don't have any man who can help me get into the water. And when the water bubbles up, somebody gets there before me. And it's just kind of like he was, wasn't on the same wavelength as Jesus. <laughs> have you ever witnessed to somebody and have them, you just share the gospel with them and then they come back with some ridiculous statement? There was a barber that I used to cut my hair here in Dallas, and I'd go to him because he wasn't a Christian, and I could witness to him. And, and I'd go and I'd say, Jim, let me tell you about Jesus. And, I, and I'd share the gospel. Sometimes I would have little drawings and things, and, and I'd say, what do you think about that? And he'd say, well, you know, I had an uncle who was a deacon. I said, what does that have to do with anything we're talking about? I don't care about your uncle. I'm talking to you. Do you want to be saved? And he'd say, well, you know, my grandmother used to sing in the choir. And I think, are we on the same planet? When, when, but, but that's the way it is. But, but years later, God got a hold of that man. And God brought him, brought him all the way to Tennessee where I'd moved to. And he drove from Dallas to Tennessee, and he got saved that night. And God did it. I didn't do it. And he didn't do it for himself. God did it. And I'm telling you, when, 
when I ask people, do you want to be saved? I know that they're either going to give some kind of silly answer or they're going to, or the Spirit of God's going to work in their heart. And this man said, uh, sir, I, I don't have anybody to help me. And so Jesus just said to him, this is just the divine fiat, divine command. Jesus just looked at the man and said, get up. The very thing he couldn't do, get up, roll up your bed, your mat that you're lying on, because you're not going to need it anymore, and walk. Three commands. Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once, <laughs> I love this, at once, immediately, the man was healed, and he got up, and he rolled up his mat, and he walked. And that was a great and wonderful sign. It was a sign that God, that Jesus is the Son of God. That's why John said, I've written, everything I've written in this book has been for this purpose, that you may know that Jesus is the Son of God, and that by believing, you might have life in his name. And so this was the purpose of this sign. But it had another repercussion. Now that day was the Sabbath. You know, God created the Sabbath day. He rested on the Sabbath day. But he didn't stop working. He rested but he held all the universe together. And he is working, and Jesus is going to say later, my father is working even now, and I'm working too. And, uh, but it was the Sabbath day, and the Jews had made a, uh, almost an idol out of the Sabbath. They had so many laws. They had written books of, of laws of what you could and couldn't do on the Sabbath day. It's just unbelievable. And uh, one, of the, one of the questions that they took on for years was, could you eat an egg that a hen had laid on the Sabbath day? And because the hen had to do work to lay that egg, they agreed that you couldn't eat an egg that had been laid on the Sabbath day. That's a good theology uh, question. And then somebody came up with the question, well, what if, what if the hen starts laying the egg just before sundown, the day before the Sabbath, and half the egg is laid on the day before the Sabbath, and the other half is laid as the Sabbath has begun? What do you do? Can you eat that egg? Can you eat half of that egg? And they argued over that for years. And they finally decided that since you didn't know which half was laid on the Sabbath, you couldn't eat any of it. We used to wonder how people spent their time before Internet, you know. I guess that's the way they did it. But even to this day, Orthodox Jews will do no work on the Sabbath day. You go to Israel, when y'all go to Israel, you'll go to a, a hotel, and on that hotel, they'll have a, 
an elevator that's called the rabbi's elevator. And when they get in that elevator on the Sabbath day, they just walk in and stand there because it's against their law to push a button. And so the elevator goes all the way up to the top floor and the doors open. And then it goes to the next floor and the doors open. And when it gets to the floor that they want off on, then they can walk out. But, but they wouldn't dare push a button. They won't cook a meal on the Sabbath day. They'll set their stove to come on automatically, but they'll do that the day before the Sabbath. So they're still arguing over Sabbath rules even to this day. It's ridiculous. And Jesus is just got himself in a whole heap of trouble because he healed a man on the Sabbath day. And so the Jews said to the man, it's the Sabbath. I see you carrying your mat. You're not supposed to be doing that. It's a Sabbath day. So you're breaking the law. And the man said, well, look, hey, you remember who I am? I'm that crippled guy that's been laying there for 38 years. I, and look, I'm walking now. And they said, yeah, but you're breaking the law. And the man said, well, look, it's not my fault. He said, because the guy that healed me told me to carry my mat. And that's what I'm doing. They said, well, who was it? He said, you know, I never even got his name. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? He said, he told me to get up and walk, and I got up and walked, and, and when I looked around, he was gone. I don't even know who he was. And then later, while the man was in the temple, Jesus found him, and he said to him, you're well. You're perfectly well now. But he said, now I want you to sin no more. I want you to live a life that is clean and pure and godly. Now, this doesn't mean that the man was crippled because he had sinned, but it did mean that now because you're whole, I want you to walk in the right way. And so the man went away and said to the Jews, Hey, y'all were wanting to know who it was, told me to take up my bed and walk, who it was that healed me? I'm going to tell you, it's Jesus. Now, I've read some commentaries this last week, and some of them say this man betrayed Jesus by going and telling on him. But others said, well, no, this man was so thankful that he wanted them to know. I tend to think that's what it was, I believe. And after God saved me, I wanted to tell other people. I wanted to tell my friends at school. I wanted to tell my teachers even what God had done in my life and that Jesus had saved me. I didn't know how to do it. I didn't know how to witness. I just went and told my English teacher, I said, Miss Elta, I really love you. And she said, Nikki Harris, have you been saved? And I said, well, I guess I have. And I said, I asked Jesus last night to show me how to love people. And he showed me how to love even you. And... Uh, <clears throat> You'd have to know Miss Elta for that to make sense to you. But uh, she said, well, you must have, God must have saved you. 
But I was so eager to tell all my friends what Jesus had done in my life. And I believe this man was that way. I believe he was just eager to go and tell the Jewish people. I don't think he was trying to get Jesus in trouble. I think he was just trying to say, look, this man, he's the one that healed me. I don't care what day it was. I don't care if it was the Sabbath day or the day before or the day after the Sabbath. He told me to get up and walk. And I've been in this condition for 38 years. And now I'm walking. Guys, don't you want to congratulate me? Don't you want to have a party with me? Don't you want to shake my hand? And they said, no, we just want to, we want you to put that mat down and don't be breaking these Sabbath laws. That's just ridiculous to me. There's many, many stories in the New Testament that are just as silly. And then Jesus answered them, answered the Pharisees. My father is working until now. Today's the Sabbath. I want you to know my father is working, and I'm working too. And there are works that we ought to do every day, whether it's Sabbath day, whether it's a Sunday, whatever. We ought to do the works of him who sent us out into the world, and that is to love God with all our heart, to love other people, and to be faithful to share the good news that what we could never, ever do for ourselves, God has sovereignly, graciously done for us. And I'll just ask you today, has, has that kind of thing happened in your life? You say, well, I wish I, wish I could see that kind of healing. And we, we, we would love to see that. And Joyce, I would love more than anything I can even imagine to be able to come pray over you and the Spirit of God rush upon you and get you up out of that wheelchair. To me, that would be marvelous beyond words. I dream about it sometimes. I really do. I know you do too. And I think about it so often. How... And, I, and I've prayed for it so often. But so far, God has not chosen to do that. But there is a miracle greater. There is a miracle greater than a paralyzed person getting out of a wheelchair and walking. And that is the miracle of a dead, paralyzed, crippled, blind soul being given health and life that is eternal and will never, ever come to an end. And that's what God offers to us today. He may not heal our physical ailments. He does sometimes. He certainly does sometimes. I enjoy talking to Mike Angeloff over in Bulgaria and I hear him tell stories of marvelous, miraculous healings that are taking place among some of the gypsy people there in, in Bulgaria. That doctors have said, we can't help you. And the Spirit of God brings healing to them. So it's amazing. 
And God still does do it. He still can do that. But he does not always choose to do that. And remember, there were multitudes of people in those five colonnades. And Jesus went to one man and sovereignly chose him for healing. But the gospel call goes out to everybody. We're preaching to a cemetery. We're preaching to a graveyard and saying to dead people, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus and be made alive. And we know that the power of the Word and the power of the Spirit can bring dead people to life. And if you're a Christian, that's a miracle that has happened in your life. You may not have even known it. You may not have known it was a miracle. You may have thought you did it, in fact. I hear people say, well, I found the Lord. I think, well, I don't try to burst their bubble, but the truth is the Lord never was lost. The Lord found you, and he did. He found you. And the truth is when he found me, I wasn't looking for him at all. But he found me and brought me to himself. Sovereign, marvelous, amazing grace. And that's what grace is. God acting in kindness and power on an undeserving, condemned sinner and making him not only alive, but making him a child of God. And that's what he'll do for you today if he hasn't already. And if you are a Christian, you say, well, I still need to, I need strength to walk. And we do, don't we? We need strength to walk in the Christian life. And the same one who brought you from the dead to life will give you the strength to walk in his ways. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this amazing story. This third sign miracle in the Gospel of John of this man who had been paralyzed for maybe all of his life suddenly, miraculously healed and able to walk. And yet, to see that for some people, the fact that Jesus did it caused them to hate him rather than to love him. And I pray for those of us here today who need strength. Now, Father, if there's those here who need to be healed of their deadness, their paralysis, I pray for you to heal them today. Spiritually bring them to yourself. And for those of us who are Christians, we know that we are weak in and of ourselves, And in our flesh, there is no good thing but I thank you that you, by your Spirit, are able to give us the strength to obey, to walk in victory and obedience. And I pray you'll help us do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's give an invitation. An invitation to you to come to Jesus. Let him bring you to himself. And if you're not a Christian today and you say, well, I, I want to be a Christian, 
I want you to know you didn't get that want to from yourself. The Spirit of God put that want to in your heart. And that's his way of saying come. And all who will may come. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We invite you to like us on Facebook or visit our website, www.bearcreekbaptist.org. If you're not a member of another church, we would like to invite you to join us in person and get to know us and let us get to know you. Have a great week and may the Lord richly bless you.